Welcome to the Lawrence Steinberg Wealth Management Audiocast, where we cover market updates and provide commentary during this difficult time, specifically for you, the client. We speak to our firm's philosophy, our criteria, our strategies, and how we're approaching today's market environment. And by the end of the discussion, we hope you have a stronger sense of clarity and confidence surrounding how we're positioned and are leading through these unprecedented times. Welcome back. I'm Liam Card, Senior Vice President here at Steinberg Wealth. And today we're going to discuss our Canadian dividend growth strategy, the third quarter of the year in the domestic markets and going forward. So Q3 showed us some continued improvement here in Canada, but granted not for all sectors and securities. We've discussed not only in our audio cast earlier this year, but also in our most recent quarterly newsletter titled The Death of 6040... At least for now, uh, which you can find on our website. But we've discussed just how important it is for investors seeking yield to focus on the highest quality dividend payers here at home. That is in their search for yield and meaningful income generation versus government bonds or your regular corporate bonds, such as Bell Canada, for example. Today, we're going to continue the discussion on our strategy, a few updates, where we see value and where we don't. With me is Lauren Steinberg, president here at Steinberg Wealth Management and Martin Cobb, senior vice president equities. And Lauren, let's start with you. So the markets have certainly rallied off the March lows. However, many Canadians, I find they're looking at their statements and and they see banks and other strong TSX components still down some of these, and many of them in the double digits, some down over 20% year to date. What does that mean for Canadian investors? And perhaps you can walk us through where we see the opportunity today in Canada. Thank you, Liam. Uh, It's not just this year, but Canada has been one of the worst performing of the major stock markets over the last decade, with the result that some of our best Canadian companies, such as our bank stocks, our telcos, are trading in valuations which we haven't seen in many years. Companies like TD, for example, are down almost 25% from where it was maybe a couple of years ago. So for the first time in a long, long time, we see tremendous value in Canada. And because the valuations are so low, we're seeing dividend yields way higher than you can get in most of the rest of the world at the 4% plus level. So for the first time in a long time, Canadian investors have a great opportunity right here at home. Now, Martin, we weren't that active in the Canadian portfolio over the past quarter, but we did add a position in Saputo. Could you speak to the opportunity there and why we see value in Saputo? I do like cheese. It's one of my favorite foods, but I don't want to pay too much for it. Saputo, as some of our listeners will know, is a Montreal-based company, but it's increasingly international. Indeed, it's one of the largest dairy processors globally. About a quarter of its business is here in Canada. Close to a half is in the US, with sizable operations in the UK, Australia, and Argentina. Now, the Saputo you and I know is about half the business. About half of its sales go to retail. About one-sixth of its business goes to industrial. And those businesses have held up pretty well, indeed done quite good during the pandemic. But the one-third of its business, which is food service, is selling cheese and other dairy products to catering companies. Think of those little subway triangles that you get in your lunchtime sandwich. That business has obviously been challenged with the increased number of people working from home, etc. And it means that the overall group level sales will be pretty flat, this year, maybe into next year, profitability will be under pressure. As a result, the shares are down over 25%. We're buying it today below 20 times what will be pretty depressed earnings. And typically, it's traded above that level, probably more like a mid-teens multiple of earnings, you know, a year or two out, and getting more than a 2% yield. 
for a very nice, dependable business that we can tuck away in our Canadian dividend strategies. And Martin, we often get asked why we have such large core positions in financials in this portfolio. Maybe you could speak to that quickly. I had the fortune, and most people will probably say misfortune, of being a banks analyst in a previous life. Very insightful. Banks are very different types of entities to look at in terms of the reports and accounts that you get elsewhere across the market. It didn't make for great dinner table conversation, it must be said. But it taught me a number of things. One thing that really strikes me is despite what a number of commentators say, what you see on BNN, banks fail as much to do with the liability side of the business, either funding, as they do with the asset side, either loans going bad. Everyone talks about loan books going bad, but actually it's the deposits, the drying up of the funding that can be just as painful. Indeed, Northern Rock and HBOS in the UK, Lehman Brothers in the global financial crisis, all suffered because of the liability side of the balance sheet. It also taught me there are really two different types of banking markets that you find around the world. The kind of Nordic model, pioneered by the countries like Norway and Sweden. You've got a few banks, very well capitalized, not much competition. And when things go bad, they bail themselves out. Then you have the US model. We have thousands of banks. I think it's six to 7,000 today, all competing very aggressively. And when things go pear-shaped, the taxpayer has to write a check. The nice thing about Canada is it's firmly in the former camp. As we all know, there's just a handful of banks here. They're very well capitalized, very good liquidity ratios in terms of loans to deposits, and they make high returns, not just for banks, but for all types of companies. They're very profitable entities. We've analyzed them. We looked at the loan books. We looked through the mortgage books, the commercial real estate, loans to travel and leisure companies, more than manageable in our opinion. And as Lauren touched on earlier, we're able to buy them today at valuations that are compatible to the global financial crisis, offering 5 to 7% dividend yields that we expect to grow over time. And aside from the banks and the financials that we own in the portfolio, could you maybe speak to also what's been driving our performance in the Canadian strategy so far this year? It's, it's very early days. We launched our Canadian dividend growth strategies in January of this year. Performance has held up pretty well against you know, a disappointing market, and particularly so against some of the other high-profile income funds, given their exposures there. As one would expect, given our focus on quality and diversification, Performance hasn't come from one source, one view, one bet on the world and how it would turn out. It's much more diversified, much more across the sectors from different types of companies within the portfolio. Some examples, Canadian National Railway, the largest railroad company in Canada, probably quite well known to our listeners. Badger Daylighting, I suspect, is not as well known. It's the largest hydrovac company in North America. Some of our retailers like Dollarama and Kushtard have also had good returns since launch. And more recently, Nutrien, the agricultural chemicals company, has really chipped in with some very good numbers and some very good returns. So it's better, it's less volatile, and it's across the board in terms of the numbers and types of companies that are contributing to our performance. But it's just early days. And our lack of oil producers and REITs in the portfolio has caused us, at least so far, to have better performance than the TSX with less volatility and a higher dividend yield which is great, but we have a lot of clients asking us if there's now value to be seen in those two categories, REITs and oil producers. What are your thoughts there? Let me take the oil producers first. The two very different answers to those questions. There's been a lot written about in the past decades on, on peak oil. You go back 15, 20 years ago, there's lots of books out there, lots of discussions on running out of oil that would be peak oil from a supply perspective. More recently, it's all about peak oil from the demand perspective, that perhaps we've seen the peak in demand for hydrocarbons coming out of the ground. Not only that, oil producers, I found, are pretty bad businesses. If you look at them, in times of low oil prices and low natural gas prices, 
Their cash flows dry up and they typically can't fund themselves and they typically have to take on debt, indeed sometimes a lot of debt. But surely when the opposite is the case, when all prices are high, they make lots of money, isn't that? No, actually, if you look back in history, in the good times, they give up an awful lot of the upside to either the national companies, the sovereign states, who either through taxation or contract changes grab back a lot of the upside, or the service companies, the Schlumbergers, the Halliburtons. Those types of companies also take more than their fair share of the pie. So you have a sector whose returns on capital through the cycle are not only volatile, but pretty poor on average. The winds of change are definitely against them. Very simply, if the valuations aren't compelling, which we don't find them to be, why go there? The REITs is a very different uh, answer to that question. We don't know them for a different reason, and the reason is to do with complexity. Previously, these companies were flavor of the month, flavor of the decade, as the global chase for yield has really grabbed investors over the past 10 or even 20 years. The problem with the REITs is they're pretty lacking in transparency. There's a lack of visibility. Indeed, I've seen reports suggesting some pretty aggressive accounting. Yes, you see the rents or the net rents coming off in terms of income, but you have no real understanding that those entities are reinvesting back into those assets to sustain and grow that rental income or that they're harvesting them. And ultimately, we'll only know in several years hence. So never say never in terms of the REITs, but I do tend to put them in the Warren Buffett, the Charlie Munger, too hard pile. Surely we can find something else better to do with our client's money. And Lauren, you know, we get asked often if there's an allocation to preferred shares in this portfolio. There isn't, and there never has been. But what are your thoughts on prefs today, especially because you know so many of them have come down in price over the past several years? Do you think there's value to be seen there today? Uh, Liam, you know the reality is in Canada, most of our preferred shares are called rate reset preferreds, where the dividend is reset every five years. In the past, a lot of these preferred shares just got called by the banks every five years. An investor earned a steady dividend and got his money back. However, investors have been in for a nasty shock over the last number of years as the with declining interest rates, these dividends have come way down. And suddenly, a lot of these shares are trading at 20 to 50% below their original par value. So preferred shares of these type are certainly not fixed income because the dividend is not fixed. And they pale in comparison to the opportunities one can get owning high quality stocks. So the reality is when we look at our Canadian dividend stocks, we're getting a 4% plus dividend yield in companies whose earnings are growing and whose dividends should be growing over time. Doesn't that sound like a way better opportunity than buying preferred shares? Probably at least as high a dividend yield opportunity for dividend growth and capital appreciation. That's That makes so much more sense from a risk reward standpoint that preferred shares wouldn't even qualify. And just to stay on the topic of yield and the search for it, certainly it's a hot topic today and everybody's discussing it. We discussed the death of 6040 in our recent newsletter. Lauren, perhaps you can summarize this for our listeners and how important it is to focus on quality when it comes to companies that pay dividends. Sure, Liam. I mean, the death of 6040 simply means over the past 50 or so years, Uh, Most pension funds, foundations, many investors had 60% of their portfolio invested in equities, 40% invested in government and similar type bonds, as you had mentioned earlier. That worked well uh, a number of years ago when one could get 4% yields on Canadian government bonds when inflation was two. However, in a world today where 10-year bonds are yielding less than 1%, the value of keeping 40% of your assets in something yielding less than the inflation rate is going to detract 
from one's long-term investment returns and one's long-term wealth creation. Therefore, investors are faced with a conundrum that as much as they would like to have part of their portfolio in so-called safe assets, that comes with a very, very steep price, which is zero yield. So investors have to really force themselves to reflect on the concept that they're going to have to trade volatility in order to get a higher return. And the Canadian dividend stocks are just a perfect example. Of course, these are equities. So you can't be surprised if your portfolio takes a bit of a beating one month. However, to be able to buy at this point in time, things like Canadian bank stocks trading at half the valuation of the S&P 500 with more than double the dividend yield. If you have a five or 10 year time horizon, you'll probably do way better in that asset class than in many other things. And Martin, as we start to wrap up here, any final thoughts? As you know, Liam, Canada is, is my adopted home. We love it here. But I have to admit to some frustrations. I, I'm frustrated as a consumer. The lack of competition that you see in banking, the lack of competition within telecoms, utilities, don't even get me started on the LCBO. But as a shareholder, I have an entirely different perspective. That lack of competition is a good thing. As Lord's already touched on, the Canadian stock market for several years now has been in a bit of the doldrums, has been a major laggard. That's left it a pretty cheap one. If you compare it to our neighbours south of the border, the US, on price earnings, cash flow, dividend yields, Canada is demonstrably cheaper than what you see in the US. Moreover, within our Canadian dividend strategies, we have also a much cheaper portfolio. The price earnings of the portfolios we have today is about 12 times. The price to asset value, less than one and a half times. Our strategies generate free cash flow yield of about 7%, which funds a well-covered and growing dividend yield of over 4%. So putting it all together, regardless of what's happening in the overall world, the markets, etc., as Lauren's already alluded to, our Canadian dividend strategies will serve our clients well from here. And Lauren, any final thoughts from you as we wrap up? We're certainly living in interesting times. Uh, We've never before seen interest rates this low, which is causing a lot of stress for all investors, as well, of course, being in the middle of COVID, seeing a lot of uncertainty geopolitically. Investors are having to live with a high level of volatility, and for all we know, that could continue for quite some time still. However, it is so important to remember that if one is getting the type of dividend yield which is way above the yield one can get in regular bonds. In companies whose earnings are growing and whose cash flow is growing, they are continually creating value for shareholders. Yes, there will be a hiccup from time to time, but as we look forward over the next five years, we're convinced this strategy is going to create outstanding value for investors. Lauren and Martin, thank you for the conversation and the commentary today. If If anyone has any questions regarding anything we discussed today or anything we missed, please feel free to reach out to us. All of our contact info is on our website at www.steinbergwealth.com. And please join us next time when we'll discuss and provide a review for our high yield bond fund, some key updates and what's changed since March. 